America's fastest growing TV network, the new TNN. Do you ever feel like a plastic bag drifting through the wind, wanting to start again? Do you ever feel feel so paper thin, like a house of cards, one blow from caving in? Do you? chance for you, cause there's a spark in you, you just gotta ignite the light, and let it shine, just on the night, like the 4th of July, cause baby you're a firework, come on show them why you work, make them go Yes, ladies and gentlemen, the flame returns on this very fun episode of Ringman here on the new TNN podcast. My name is Johnny C. As always, I am your host. And Ringman, of course, is the show where we take a look back at the wars of sports-based entertainment. And, you know, sometimes on this show we talk about pay-per-views or... You know, an episode of wrestling television, or perhaps a, a tournament that took place. You know, something that is cohesive, something that is uh, complete. And and we're going to do that this go-around as well, ladies and gentlemen. And and I've put together sort of a, a look back at perhaps one of the most famous storylines in, I wouldn't even say WWE, but all of pro wrestling history. This go-around on Ringman, we are looking at the saga of Katie Vick. You're welcome. Of course, this is a very famous storyline for what is usually remembered as a lot of the wrong reasons, okay? And we'll cover the infamous segment that everyone's probably waiting for in very great detail, so don't worry. But, uh, you know, why am I doing this? Well... You know, I, I, I oftentimes lean into bad wrestling as sort of my caveat and go-to. However, however, uh, you know, one segment does not a storyline make, okay? If you take a look at the overall storyline between, oh, I don't know, let's say the Mega Powers, okay? Sure, they celebrate at SummerSlam 1988 and Hulk Hogan you know, touches Miss Elizabeth's rear end, uh, and I'm not saying that's a good thing, but what I am saying is that that's, that's just one moment that we remember from that storyline. It's not the whole storyline. It's really not even important until it needs to be. So we can't judge an entire overarching storyline by just one moment. And, and I think this storyline is judged by just one moment. So what we've got here, ladies and gentlemen, is sort of a comprehensive overview of a snapshot, if you will, of October 2002 in the World Wrestling Entertainment. God, I said the World Wrestling Entertainment because I thought I was going to say the World Wrestling Federation. That's like when people say the WCW, like, I'm the best wrestler in the WCW. No, I'm the best wrestler in WCW. 
because WCW stands for World Championship Wrestling. If you were going to say I'm the best wrestler in the WWF, that would be correct, because it's the World Wrestling Federation. It's an entity. Uh, it's a brand, to be honest with you. And Johnny, I, this is the concrete man himself, and I appreciate you taking the time to, to look back at uh, you know, one of the, the storylines that we've produced here as entertainment uh, of a brand nature. You know, Johnny, I like the, your approach to this thing, because you're not just looking at a scene. You're not just looking at one side of the tale. You're looking at all of it comprehensively. It's put together. It's edited together to tell a story. I guess what I might be trying to say to you, Johnny, right now, as I take a sip of this water bottle, we make movies. I'm going to take another sip. Oh, that's good water. All right, Johnny, I think that uh, now that I've given you the blessing, you can go ahead and continue your story. Uh, thank you, Concrete Man. I didn't expect to see you here, but your presence is always welcome. Help yourself to whatever's in the fridge. Well, Johnny, I, I already have. Uh, Johnny, how do you expect to be visually appealing with the contents of your refrigerator? Well, I mean, I don't really think that's any of your business. I offered you what was there. You can choose to take. You can choose to decline. It's really fine. No need to throw shade. Johnny, there is a can of Surge-based cola that expired in the year 2016. What are you holding on to that for, Johnny? Well, you know, at this point, I'm just trying to maintain the integrity of the can. It, it could be a collector's item someday, you know, and you never know. Uh, things could go south. Go south, Johnny. Are you telling me that you would be desperate enough to drink a can of soda that expired seven years ago? Well, it's really, really good, sir, okay? I'm sorry. I can't let it go. It's the last one I have. Johnny, I'm, I, before the day is over, I'm going to do you a great favor. Now, please, continue with your show. I'm just going to going to go over here and sit in this chair, and I'm not going to go anywhere near the can of Surge. All right. Well, TV uh, works. You know, you do what you can. Johnny, I, I'll find vast amounts of entertainment on my own, I'm sure. You just do your show. Don't you worry at all about that one little can of Surge in the corner of your refrigerator next to the mustard jar. It'll be safe. All right, I'll, I guess I'll talk to you later. Maybe at the end of the show, you can give me some of your thoughts on the angle. Johnny, I'd be honored. Thanks, sir. All right, so a comprehensive overlook at October 2002. We're going to cover five different episodes of WWE programming. Lucky for me, every Monday in October was a multiple seven, so it was easy to remember. The October 7th Raw, the October 14th Raw, the No Mercy pay-per-view from October 20th, the October 21st Raw, and the October 28th edition of Raw. Now, each of these programs contains multiple moments that are essential to the understanding of the saga of Katie Vick, and that's why we're going to cover them. Now, so the matches, there I have three matches in particular that I'm going to cover more in detail. All right, But a lot of this stuff is going to be summarized, maybe recreated with some impressions for all of you, but I will try to give you all the information that you need. Uh, well, let's see, maybe four matches uh, now that I'm reviewing my notes and being like, hey, dumbass, you uh, you looked at four matches. Um, the first two Raws each have a match. The pay-per-view has a match. No, it's fucking five matches because I just learned how to count. Well, fuck me sideways. Each show has a match. Probably should have just led with that. But all the segments that are necessary, I will be 
summarizing for all of you. Are you ready? All right. Let's get cracking. So October 7th, 2002, Monday Night Raw is live from the Thomas and Mack Center in Las Vegas, Nevada. As we get started, we get the, you know, 2002 WWE signature, the one that's like... Entertainment. However, I'd forgotten that we're still very much in the thralls of the evil Eric Bischoff as Raw General Manager era, like when it was still fresh. And I forgot that the signature ends with a glorious shot of Eric Bischoff with a shit eating grin, and it made me laugh pretty fucking hard. Now, God help us all, tonight's episode of Raw is a very special Raw. As it is from Las Vegas, Nevada, it's time to gamble with the bodies and fates of our independent contractor sports entertainers. It's Raw Roulette, bitches! Now, if you're not familiar with Raw Roulette, it's basically spin the wheel, make the deal. And if you're not familiar with spin the wheel, make the deal, well, you're probably better off, but it's a giant wheel of matches. Sports entertainers spin the wheel, and the wheel tells them what kind of match they will be participating in. Now, ladies and gentlemen, due to the power of the rewind and pause feature on Peacock, I am here completely prepared to deliver to you every single possibility on the Raw Roulette wheel. These are the various matches that sports entertainers could be forced to engage in for our entertainment. Are you ready? Oh no, I said, are you ready? Okay, let's go ahead and get let's go ahead and go over them. What, did you think I was going to go further with that? No, I got things to do. So here are the potential matches one could be booked in. A Las Vegas Showgirls match which does indeed get selected. We see William Regal and uh, Goldust dress up like showgirls and, ras- and wrestle. A steel cage match. Well, it's true. That does get selected. We see Booker T in the Big Show battle within the confines of a 15-foot high steel cage. A first blood match. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not proud of this, but I'm going to have to deliver it to you verbatim, and for that I apologize. The next selection on the Raw Roulette Wheel, is indeed a Capture the Midget match. I don't know how this would work. And even though I don't approve of such things, I kind of would have liked to see one. Just, just, just to see. Just to see what this is all about. Um, up next, a It's Legal in Nevada match. Well, it certainly is. A Blindfold match. A TLC match, a bra and panties match, a blank on a pole match, a Las Vegas street fight, Singapore cane, <laughs> cane. Ladies and gentlemen, a diaper match. For all you folks who go to the secret quarters of the internet, diaper match could have possibly happened, but it didn't. <laughs> This has got to be this has got to be an Easter egg, uh, a coal miners glove match. They sh- they should have picked that just just for the shits of it. Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, see Halloween Havoc '92, a last man standing match, a falls count anywhere match, a question mark match. I guess that's I don't know. I mean, it's a question mark. It could be anything. 
Maybe it's a last can of Surge match. Maybe the winner would have been forced to drink the last can of my Surge. But it's 2002, so couldn't have happened. A Kiss My Ass match, a Bischoff's Choice match, a Handicap match, and finally, an HLA match. Now, some things happen on this Raw, but eventually... We have a segment in the back, and this is where the saga of Katie Vick truly begins. Because after this moment, we are go. Eric Bischoff has the current reigning, defending world tag team champions here to spin the wheel to see what kind of match they will be defending their tag team based championship man- championships in tonight at Roll Roulette. The wheel is spun. The result, T-L-C. Tables, ladders, and chairs. Kane and the Hurricane, of course, the champions are like, whoa, T-L-C. The Hurricane says, oh my, holy McFoley. Now, Kane is eyed up by Ray, uh, current Raw General Manager Eric Bischoff, and, and Eric would like to pontificate on what he sees. You know, Kane, you know, you got a lot in common with Las Vegas. I'm looking at you right now, knowing that in just two weeks, you're going to go for the World Heavyweight Championship. Kane, you're greedy. Why is Kane greedy? Well... Ladies and gentlemen, he's already covered in gold. Of course, previously mentioned, he's one half of the World Tag Team Champions. But he's also the reigning, defending, intercontinental champion. You see, last week, Y2J Chris Jericho, the intercontinental champion of the time, faced Kane for the intercontinental championship, but also with the caveat that the winner would not only be the Intercontinental Champion, but go on to face the World Heavyweight Champion at no mercy in a winner-take-all, champion-versus-champion unification match. Now tonight, Eric believes that greed will catch up with Kane. But Kane, being a large man composed of flame, is not afraid. And he... We'll do whatever it takes to win the TLC match and the World Heavyweight Championship. On the way out, Eric Bischoff wishes the tag team champions the best of luck, to which Kane pauses, retorts, In that ring, luck is for losers. Lame. Okay? Lame. I believe... It doesn't see a punk wear some sort of luck is for loser shirt. You fucking, you know, wears luck is for loser shirt. People that don't succeed. Also, I'm pretty sure the garment based uh, store that I worked at at my local mall uh, in the town that I went to college in had a. Uh, I worked at this clothing store. And I think they sold a graphic tee that said like luck is for losers, which I noted at the time was for losers. <laughs> So if you have the Luck is for Loser shirt, I'm sorry. Although, perhaps a Luck is for Loser shirt that's Kane branded would be okay. Like a like an awful, ugly, gaudy green shirt with a four-leaf clover on it in flames that maybe on the back says, Luck is for Losers, the flame returns or something. I could get behind a shirt of that nature. So, yay. But as it stands, 
We're booked for the TLC match. Who will the opponents be? Well, we'll get to that in just a few moments. Now, there are two protagonists in this story. Kane being one of them. The other, the reigning defending world heavyweight champion, Triple H. And it's later in the show we get our first glimpse of Triple H. Babyface Triple H. No, not because of his alignment in the wars of sports entertainment, but because he's clean-shaven and he looks like an idiot. Okay? Now, it's Triple H's turn to spin the wheel and make the deal. Triple H congratulates Eric on booking Kane in a TLC match. And then he makes an ominous statement to Eric before the wheel is spun. Tonight, Kane will never be the same again. All right, I'll keep that in mind, Hunter. Why don't you guys spin the wheel and come to some sort of an arrangement? You thought I was going to say make the deal, didn't you? So the wheel is spun, and Triple H is aghast and appalled because it appears that tonight he will be waging war in a blindfold match. He's irate and starts to yell at Eric Bischoff. Luckily, Triple H's new manager and advisor, Ric Flair, is here. Rick tells Hunter, hey, champ, calm down. Calm down, H. Let me talk to Eric Bithoff here, and we'll see if we can make an arrangement here for this great sport. Triple H leaves, and Rick approaches Eric and telling him, hey, Eric, you're doing a great job at a general manager role with the roll roulette wheel. I'm telling you, it's one of the greatest innovations I've seen in this sport. Now, Eric Bischoff, I'm the nature boy, and I've got something for you. Ric Flair beckons two new characters in World Wrestling Entertainment to enter the scene as he summons Mandy and Sandy. Two women enter the scene, rubbing on one another, apparently named Mandy and Sandy. The king has a conniption fit. Oh, JR! HLA! HLA, JR! Ha-ha! The girls continue to gyrate in the direction of one another, and Ric Flair... Puts the kibosh on all this. Whoa, ladies, hey, slow down. Let's save some for later. Eric, these two girls are going to go to your hotel room. They'll meet up with you after the show. Woo! Apparently, however, though, the match is still on because I'll tell you what, the very next segment is indeed a blindfold match featuring Triple H. So what was the point of all this? I I don't know. But let's go to the next segment. It's, uh, it's, it's, we're not going to cover this match in great detail, but I thought it would be uh, fun talking about because it is indeed a non-title blindfold match. So Hunter and Nate come out first, and that's fine, even though he's a champ. But uh, I'm specifically talking about this because on the way down to the ring, JR and King do their pay-per-view promotional shill. You know, uh, King's like, no mercy, it's brought to you by Subway, eat fresh, ha-ha! And uh, JR's like, you know, the pay-per-view's just two weeks away in Little Rock, which is an insane place to have a pay-per-view, I might add. No offense to Arkansas, I guess. But the reason I'm talking about this specifically is because it, it really made me think. Two weeks. And, and that's okay. You know, I, I get it. Two weeks to hype a pay-per-view level, main, a pay-per-view main event match from Raw. So we've got two weeks to put something together kind of ASAP because there's no time to waste. Like, there are ways you can do this that don't involve crazy over-the-top things because, you know, it's... (laughs) 
I, I don't know. Like you could, and Kane's going to give an interview later that actually is kind of all that you need. We'll cover that here in just a second. But it's like, so they needed a build for to get to No Mercy, which is two weeks away, and they invented you know the Katie Vick saga that you you know what it is before you know I know we haven't gotten there yet, but it's like wow. I can see I, I this is not a damnation of the storyline, no is it a uh uh endorsement of the storyline that'll come at the end. However, if you're gonna do a story that's this out there or this huge or this big, in terms of the implications, maybe tell it over a long time period. I mean, if you're going to. I don't know that I'm advocating for that, but two like all the things you could do. Here is a list well, not a list, but here is what I came up with that you could do. All right. Uh, if you don't want, you know, if you want Triple H to get underneath the skin of Kane, maybe do some sort of an quote unquote injury angle. Maybe Triple H beats the shit out of Kane with a chair and then smashes his ankle and Kane's limping for two weeks. I, I know it's not great, but I mean, you know, it's something. Maybe maybe Triple H interferes in the TLC match and causes Kane and Hurricane to lose. And then, you know, Kane's angry about that. Or perhaps just go with the allure of gold. Uh, you know, I don't know. Uh, JR reckons that there hasn't been a blindfold match since WrestleMania 7 and calls tonight's TLC matchup the Brutality Jackpot. Brutality Jackpot, King. As Triple H poses for his patented on-the-apron water spit, there's a sign right behind him on the hard cam that says, Waste of Life. Made me chuckle. His opponent for the blindfold match. I'm floored by this revelation, ladies and gentlemen, as I hear the theme penetrate my eardrums. Burr, burr, you're looking at the real deal now. It's D-Lo Brown. Woohoo! Unbelievable. Still employed. Triple H versus D'Lo in a blindfold match. So the match isn't too long. It's like four minutes. But I took I took some notes of what I want to point out. Number one, the crowd is into this match the whole time, despite it being completely obvious. You've got Triple H versus D'Lo Brown. We know what's going on here. But nonetheless, they're into it. Number two, this, this match is really not bad at all. Number three... There is, to my opinion, a very funny spot in this match that I belly laughed at, believe it or not. Triple H has D'Lo Brown in the corner, and he's punching him and, like, kicking him in the gut and what have you, and then Triple H lets up. As soon as Triple H lets up, D'Lo is able to make a break for it, and he... He walks away to the side. He, like, sidesteps out of the corner, but he makes sure not to touch Triple H because then Triple H would know that he's no longer there. D'Lo is, like, in the center of the ring catching his breath. Triple H starts berating D'Lo Brown, who, of course, is no longer in the corner. And Triple H is going really over the top, like, pointing the finger, yelling and screaming. And then Triple H, like, does his Triple H power-up. He's like, nah. And then he charges to ram into D'Lo Brown. Of course, D'Lo Brown is no longer there. And Triple H, God help us all, for the business and for our entertainment, slams himself very hard face first into the turnbuckle. I don't know. This is pretty good. I I didn't expect to laugh. Uh, Number four, I'm very surprised in this match that Triple H agrees to take the sky high from D'Lo Brown. 
but I rewound it, and Triple H basically gives himself the sky high to make sure it's safe. Number five, the match ends when Ric Flair uh, goes over to Triple H, who's down in the corner, and, and says to him, Triple H, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go distract the referee. And when I distract the referee, you do your Triple H thing. Woo! And, and then, sure enough, number six, Flair distracts the ref, which number seven allows Triple H to stand up, uncover his face from the blindfold, and number eight, hit the kick wham pedigree. That's fine. Back at the spinning wheel of doom, where the raw roulette, Eric has three men in his office that know a whole hell of a lot about TLC matches. Christian, Bubba Ray Dudley, and the charismatic, enigmatic Jeffrey Hardy. Tonight, these three men are in the match. Christian doesn't want to do it. It's too dangerous. Eric tells him, ah, Christian, I, I, I understand what you're saying. But if you don't, you're suspended. So Christian agrees. Jeff's got nothing to say, but he agrees. Bubba tries to make us care, doing like a whole thing. You know Bubba Ray Dudley. You know he likes to talk and try to make things seem important. He's like, Eric Bischoff, the, the sheer amount of of carnage in a TLC match and you want to put eight men in there in a TLC match Eric Bischoff uh Eric's like it's cool it's cool guys I'll tell you what you all can pick your own partners and so they leave to pursue the quest of finding a partner and they do throughout the night first off is Christian Terry interviews Christian, wanting to know if he has a partner. Christian says he won't choose one of the un-Americans because he wants to win tonight. Uh-oh, is there trouble in paradise for the un-Americans? He's all like, now that I think about it, I've won three TLC matches by myself. I'm a TLC master, which is a t-shirt I would have bought. Just says TLC master. That about it. He's He starts to say, the only TLC match I didn't win, but he's cut off by Y2J. The man who is on a desperate quest to prove he's not a sucker because he's feuding with Booker T. Y2J is like, I won the TLC match that you didn't. And it's true. Y2J says that he and a partner we shall not name won the forgotten TLC match. The best TLC match. He calls it forgotten and the best in the same sentence. But he wants vengeance, that being Y2J, pronouns pal, against Kane for defeating him for the Intercontinental Championship. So let's team up. They do. They shake hands, and it looks like Team Canada is ready for TLC. JR, on the way out before commercial, says, Well, I guess that's team number two. T their opponents, team number two. From Canada, Christian, his opponent, the first undisputed world heavyweight champion, he is the self-proclaimed king of the world. He is a self-proclaimed huge rock star from Winnipeg, Manitoba, weighing in at 227 pounds. He is Y2J Chris Jericho, member of team number two. Later that night, Spike Dudley and Tommy Dreamer are chatting in a locker room. Tommy wearing an American flag WWE logo. What a fucking loser. Bubba walks right in, and he's like, All right, Dreamer, uh, TLC match. This match is perfect for you. I need you. Let's go. They go to walk away, but Spike looks oh so sad. What's wrong, Spike? 
Spike's like, I've watched you and, and, and my brother in every TLC match, and I thought this time it might be my turn. Tommy looks at Bubba, forlorn like, go on, slugger, give the kid a shot. Sure enough, Tommy's on the bench, Bubba recruits Spike, and they're off. All right, brother, let's do it. And then they do. Uh, Tommy looks on at the brothers Dudley as they walk away and adds some words of encouragement. Take it, Spike. Seconds later, the director yells, clear. And it makes the air. Later that night, the coach, Jonathan Coachman, interviews Jeff Hardy near an open door. He says, well, three of the four teams are set. Who's your partner, Jeff? Jeff gives the one finger, hold on a second, to the coach, and he speaks to the doorway. Hey, man, you won't do this? Out pops Robert Van Dam. A big pop occurs. Whoa, table, ladders and chairs. Dude, yeah, I'm in. Jeff and Robert give one another a bro high five. Jim Ross proclaims, all four teams, it's going to be awesome tonight. So all four teams are set. Now just pause, a famous new TNN pause. As I'm scrubbing through this show to find the appropriate segments, I saw two video packages that really made me sit back and think, my God, I am an old man who's done nothing with his life. They show a hype video for Batista coming to Raw where he's working out, saying things like, it's my time, no one can stop me. And it just makes me chuckle because Dave has so much personality and just none of it's on display here. But then in a much better video package... We get like an ESPN Legends profile on Randy Orton, complete with uh, his dad talking about him, saying things like, in 10 years, Randy Orton's going to be the future of this business. But the whole thing is voiced over by like the ESPN sports announcer guy that Dave Chappelle always references in his sketches, like, great moments in hookup history. Randy old Keith Orton was born with a destiny, a destiny that proclaims he is a legend in the making. And it's just funny. I love early Randy Orton. I was hoping his shoulder was already hurt, but it's not. Now, folks, we're towards the end of the show. Well, the last half hour. We're just moments away from our TLC-based main event. And Terry Runnels has Kane for an interview. He's flying solo because this interview is about the whirlwind that he's been on here in the recent weeks in WWE. Kane's ready to talk. Terry's ready to ask. So Terry comes forward with her big question. Will you be at a disadvantage at no mercy? I don't know why she sounds like Pamela Paul shock, but I'm going with it. Will you be at a disadvantage at no mercy considering you're moments away from a table, ladders, chairs match? So let's just, let's just rewind that. Uh, poor Terry Ruddles. Okay, she she doesn't know if the if the match is the plural form or the singular form for each of these instruments of destruction, tools of power play. Now, if I'm not mistaken, it's tables, ladders, and chairs. Oh my, it's a TLC match, tables, ladders, and chairs match because there are multiple instruments or multiple uh, there are multiple counts of each instrument. So Terry calls it a table, singular, ladder, z. Because she adds in the uh, at the end because she's not quite sure if she's supposed to. So somewhere in between. 
and chairs is indeed said in the plural form. So, table singular, ladders somewhere between, and chairs full plural. Unbelievable. Kane's like, you know, I've been fighting the odds for a long time, and for the first time in my entire life, I'm happy. I'm weeks away from making history. So, Kane's happy, and for the first time in his life, just laying that on thick because we'll need it. He says he's weeks away from history, and this is what I was talking about just a few minutes ago with Triple H and the two weeks and all that shit. He says he's weeks away from, quote, being the first person to hold the World Heavyweight Championship, the Intercontinental Championship, and the Tag Team Championship at the same time. Well, there you go! Works for me! There's your storyline right there! You do that, and then you maybe have Triple H smash up his ankle or his arm or something. I don't know. Someone that puts him at a disadvantage. And, and there's your storyline. Now, I don't know that it's going to do gangbusters. But, and this is my personal opinion, if you're ever going to do something like this, do it now. Both shows are kind of in flux trying to up the ante on one another. This is the, this is the best Kane has ever been, in my opinion. I mean, you already blew RVD last month when you had Triple H beat him clean at Unforgiven. So make a star. Kane, right now, is in the best shape of his life, and he has the best look as a character of his entire run. So do it. Plus, he's starting to make headway with the fans because now he says, I know I can do it. The Canaanites know I can do it. Big pop. The Canaanites thing. Look, I know it's silly. But if you want to be over in this business, you've got to have something that connects with the fans. A catchphrase is a big part of it. Now look, I know a catchphrase does not a superstar make, but it sells shirts and it makes people pop for things. Just do it. And then you can have him lose it in the chamber. It It's too bad, really. It's really too bad. I know I can do it. The Canaanites know I can do it. Triple H knows it, too. Triple H can threaten me. But he's gonna. But I'm gonna do it at no mercy. Now, there's some scuttlebutt happening near Kane, so he faces the camera and says, "What? It's the coach, Jonathan Coachman, who says uh, Kane, Triple H, and Flair. They're they're beating up the Hurricane. Where? Kane wants to know. Coach replies, "Quote sh- straight down that hallway." Kane starts to run. As soon as Kane runs away. The coach yells to amend his directions. He amends his directions by shouting, Kane, take a left, and then and then your first right. Okay, well, I thought it was straight down the hallway. Uh, needless to say, I'm confused. I think Kane's confused too. Because we cut to the beatdown in question. The coach wasn't lying. Triple H is topless in some khaki pants with flair beating the shit out of Hurricane. Kane still hasn't arrived. We cut to Cade running through a hallway. Has he made any turns yet? I don't know. <laughs> Officials eventually break up the beatdown. We cut back to Cade running. I still don't know if he's taking the left or the right yet. Triple H and Flair leave. Cade finally arrives and yells at Triple H off camera by saying, You son of a bitch! Triple H and Ric Flair have destroyed the hurricane! Now what? Commercial. We're back from commercial, and here comes, folks, the first match we're going to actually talk about. It's time for TLC4, a match that was called the Match of the Decade, according to the WWE. Later on, 
After the first 10 years, yeah, it was in uh, 2003, they did like a 10 years of Raw, and this was named Match of the Decade. All right. Uh, it's the first ever TLC match in Raw's history. RVD and Jeff Hardy arrive first. They don't have a tag team name, so I'm going to call them the High Flyers. Jeff Hardy makes sure to bob a lot on his entrance, and it makes me laugh. Not with him, but at him. As the High Flyers are walking to the ring, Jim Ross has some interesting information for us that just made me fucking laugh, considering it's Jim Ross. Uh, Folks, uh, next Monday, we're going to be in one of our favorite cities. No doubt, we'll see some great fans, have some great action, and have a little bit of that smoked meat in Montreal next Monday. I don't know anything about smoked meat or Montreal, but I know Jim Ross does. And I know that if there is smoked meat in Montreal, JR knows where to find it. The Dudley Boys are out next with their saliva-based theme. Christian, at last, you are on your own. Christian, then Y2J, and then the flame returns. Kane is solo. Not Sokoa. I mean, he's by himself. Shades of Han. Uh, He enters the ring, and it looks like he's going to summon the pyro, but he doesn't, because there's too many people in the ring and too many things outside the ring that could catch fire. The bell rings. So, ladies and gentlemen, we are off to the races. So, I'm not going to go blow for blow in this thing. It's a TLC match with seven people. A lot of shit's going on. However, I have rounded up sort of the necessary arrangements. Okay? And I'll give you a star ranking at the end, too, because I'm a nice guy. So it starts out as a schmoz fest. It's hilarious because there are uneven numbers here. There's seven guys where there should be eight. So during the opening schmoz, Spike Spike Dudley can't find anything to do or anyone to punch, so he just kind of stands there with his thumb up his ass. Also, during this match... Jim Ross is flying solo, again, not Sokoa, but he's by himself on commentary because earlier, Jerry the King Lawler won the It's Legal in Las Vegas match, which means he got the service of the Godfather's hose because it's legal in Las Vegas. So he's out fucking. So it starts off with kick, punch, it's all in the mind until Team Canada, you know who I'm talking about, immediately brings in a ladder and scales it to try to get a quick, cheap victory, but to no success. Eventually, Kane and Jeff are alone in the ring. Kane slams Jeff into a ladder, but then his partner RVD attacks, and they're double-teaming the Kanester. Kane fights back with a big double clothesline from Knox County. Kane heads outside to beat on Jeff Hardy. Kane is definitely the focal point here. Like, this is something I want to make clear. Even though there are lots of people in this match that have, you know, gone to the outside and are doing things, the camera has been following Kane the whole time. And that's okay. I'm, I'm just saying. We're really putting it on thick here, so we might as well just go with Kane. Uh, RVD leaps to the outside to save his partner, but he gets caught in the goozle. He's about to get chokeslammed, but Jeff Hardy runs the rails and takes out all of them. In the ring... Bubba is doing the Terry Funk ladder spot where he spins around and hits people with the ladder as he wears it like shoulder pads. You know what I'm talking about. JR calls this spot the helicopter from Dudleyville, and I don't even think they got an airport. Kane comes back in the ring. Bubba has taken the ladder off of his head, but as a side effect of taking the ladder off of his head, he is holding the ladder dangerously close. 
to his own face. Kane runs forward and hits a Van Kaneinator. RVD leaps in with a kick to Kane. Kane's then tossed outside again by both of the high flyers. Team Canada sets a ladder up on one of the top turnbuckles. Like, the edge is overhanging facing the ring. So, the ladder's set up horizontally, and the top of the ladder where you would stand is facing towards the ring. Um, it's, it, it's an interesting spot here. It's very, very, very dangerous looking. I don't know why you would agree to do this. Oh, it's Spike Dudley. That's why. They double Irish whip Spike Dudley into this thing, and it's disgusting. This poor man. He does this for no reason. I don't care more about Spike Dudley because of this. Uh, after beating, uh, or, you know, murdering Spike, Bubba comes in and gets vengeance when he hits the flip-flop and fly on Y2J. Out of nowhere, Kane comes leaping into the frame off the top rope. He hits his flying hand touch to Christian. Now, you might say, Johnny C, that's the Kane flying clothesline. And yes, it is, but this, this move never looks great. So it's more of a flying hand touch. Kane, Bubba, and a ladder are in the ring now. Uh, Bubba slams the ladder into the mask-protected face of Kane. Bubba climbs the ladder, but he's brought down into the goozle position and choke slammed. Spike tries to help, but gets body slammed. And then, ladies and gentlemen, once again, Spike Dudley making the sacrifice for our entertainment. As Kane military presses Spike Dudley over the top rope onto the pile of humanity on the outside. Kane's all alone in the ring, but somebody sneaks in. It's Chris Jericho! And he's got a ladder! Shades of Suicide Squad member Javelin... Jericho sprints forward and rams the ladder into Kane's face as if it were a javelin. On the outside, Christian hits his patented inverted DDT onto Kane on the solid, deadly concrete. He then puts Kane on a table that's outside near the entrance. At this point, I come to the conclusion that I enjoy Jim Ross solo on commentary because he's a lot like me. He asks himself questions that he then answers to himself. I enjoy it. So Kane's prone on the table. Team Canada's on the apron with a ladder draped over the middle rope. What are they going to do? Well, Rob Van Dam doesn't want to find out because Rob Van Dam leaps off the top and he does a flipping senton onto the side of the ladder that's inside the ring, which causes the side outside of the ring to teeter-totter slam into the faces of Team Canada. Jim Ross cracks me up because shades of the crazy lady that's on the bus in the Howard the Duck comics from the 70s, Jim Ross is fearful for the fate of RVD's kidneys. Yep, that's a deep cut reference. Deal with it. Uh, Jeff Hardy slams a chair into the tum-tum of the prone table-based cane. He sets up a ladder next to it. Is he going to go for the swanton? No! He hits the leaping leg drop of doom. And the ladder... Or off the ladder, onto Kane, and the table breaks, and it's a spectacle. Bubba's all alone inside with a ladder. He sees the humanity on the outside. He slams the ladder onto Y2J and sets up another one under the tag titles. He's climbing. He's all alone. But wait a minute. We've got to take a break. No! Don't do it now! Please! Don't do it now! Bubba! But may win the tag titles! Christian enters and powerbombs Bubba off the ladder. Okay, now it's time to take a break. My God, it's a car wreck. Bodies lying everywhere. Don't go away. We'll be back. We're back from commercial. 
and Bubba Ray and RVD are going at it. According to JR, there was off-the-page action during the break. Well, it probably should have included us. It's rude. An ECW champ breaks out, and now there's two ladders in the ring, along with four men. Off of one ladder, Jericho Bulldogs Bubba Ray. Now, somehow, RVD has his legs split, and he's standing on both ladders at the same time. Christian bends him backwards and hits an inverted DDT. Now, pause just a moment here, ladies and gentlemen, as I did in the real world to catch up on some of my action-based notes. Since I had the video paused right after the impact of this reverse DDT, or inverted DDT, whatever you want to call it, I wondered to myself, I wonder if Jim Ross is going to say that Christian just hit the unprettier, as he's apt to do. I unpaused, and Jim Ross called it a neckbreaker. Well, heads I win, tails you lose, but either way, he got it wrong. Little Spike Dudley climbs up a ladder. According to JR, he's looking for the back door. Christian yanks him down and unceremoniously tosses him to the outside. Kane, I should point out the star of our show, is still down on the outside off of the off after the table stuff that he went through. Uh, JR then calls this match, It's wrestling purgatory for these four teams in tables, ladders, and chairs. Of course, you all know that I watched this stuff with the closed captioning on, and according to the closed captioning, Jim Ross said, This is wrestling purgatory for these 14 tables, ladders, and chairs! I'm glad somebody's keeping count. Everybody is now down completely, but Kane rolls in. Christian is climbing a ladder, and Kane unceremoniously tips it, making Christian rack himself on the top rope, as is to happen in these types of matches. Jeff Hardy comes off the top rope with a crossbody. He's caught and power slammed by Kane. Jeff rolls outside the ring, which means Kane is all alone. The ladder is set up. Kane starts to climb. Little Spike Dudley says, No, you don't, Megatron. He bounces off of the ropes to, you know, attack Kane. However, Kane is now off the ladder. And thus, Little Spike Dudley runs into Kane's ladder-based shield. Because he was using it as a shield. Kane then rams the ladder a second time into Spike, and Spike goes to the outside. Kane turns around. He has the folded ladder safely in his hands, from previously using it as a human shield and a battering ram. However, as a side effect, he's holding the ladder dangerously close to his own face. Van Laternator from Chris Jericho. Uh, and then, oh no, he hits it with, well, he hits the ladder with a chair and it goes into Kane's face and all that jazz. Then he takes the chair to Bubba Dudley. RVD takes down Jericho. Uh, Bubba is up again and he's on his knees in the corner where Kane is. Jeff Hardy sees this and my God almighty! Jeff Hardy runs forward and hits the spoken word in motion to the machine of redness. Kane is now sitting in the corner in what I suppose one could call the Bronco Buster stink face position. Jeff Hardy grabs a folding chair and places it right in front of Kane's mask. RVD climbs up top. It looks like he's going to go for the patented coast-to-coast -coast impact, and he does with the Van Terminator! My God, he's dead. 
Jim Ross is all like, Kate's face! Kate's face! He'll never chew again! Well, okay, he doesn't say he'll never chew again. I added that, but it could have happened. Uh, later, Chris Jericho is trying to play Jeff Hardy on a ladder. It's reversed, and Jim Ross really goes into overdrive. How do you land a ladder without ruining your back? Without splattering your kidney? Somebody tell me at home! How do you do it? Christian comes off the top and almost kills himself uh, when he doesn't flip correctly. He does flip at the last second, but lands right near a ladder. looked very scary. Uh, Let's see here. A ladder is set up. Jeff Hardy climbs, and he's reaching. Bubba Dudley cuts him off, and it looks like Bubba Dudley is thinking, let's superplex Jeff Hardy off the top of this 15-foot ladder, or whatever the hell it is. Does he indeed superplex a Jeff Hardy? Well... Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I present to you the evidence. You tell me. On commentary, Jim Ross yells, What's this? You've got to be kidding me. Somebody call the ENTs! So, again, in the match, everybody is down. Rob Van Dam is up. He climbs the ladder. Bubba cuts him off. Again, didn't Bubba just deliver the superplex? He punches Rob Van Dam off of the ladder safely. The crowd boos that this wasn't some sort of crazy elaborate stunt. What's wrong with these people? You can't, you, you can't be so bloodthirsty. Jericho climbs the ladder. Spike Dudley looks to kick him off. He does. Jericho's back up. Jericho has his fingertips on the championship gold. He's reaching. He's reaching so much that on top of the ladder, he looks a little unstable. Spike Dudley recovers, and ladies and gentlemen, Spike tips the ladder forward. He tips the ladder forward towards the crowd. Did it look safe? Did it look dangerous? Well, again, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, you tell me as I present the evidence. Spike! Trip the ladder! Trip the ladder! My God! My God! My God! Jerk off the ladder! Over the top! All the way to the floor! The replay does reveal that Chris Jericho was able to guide himself to safety the best he could. Thank goodness. Spike climbs ever close to victory. Come on, little man! You almost got it! Christian pulls him down. Spike Dudley, though, goes for the acid drop! Or the Dudley dog. But Christian tosses him over the top to the outside through a table. Looked better when Mike Awesome did it at Guiltiest Charge 2000, though. Again, everyone... And the match is down. The crowd stands to applaud. Jim Ross takes a moment to let us know this is a moment as he implores us to think of the sacrifices, the passion, and the will to perform. And I promise you folks, you're not going to find it anywhere else but Monday Night Raw. At first I was like, Jesus, is JR really sweating it from NWA TNA? Because that's who they would have been at this point. They don't even have TV clearance. But I think it's a Raw versus SmackDown thing. Because he pivots right into this carnage. My God, it's, it's, all, it's all because of our general manager, Eric Bischoff. And folks, don't forget, the rosters are frozen. So these Raw athletes have to stay here and deal with Eric Bischoff. So, I think that proves it's more of a Raw versus SmackDown thing, but I just wanted to add that little rosters frozen thing, because it's such a moment in time. Alright, there's two ladders now. Chris Jericho climbs one. Or, yeah, it could be Christian, though. Yeah, 
you know. Uh, one of the Chris's climbs, Bubba climbs. One, guess what happens? Well, it's a Bubba bomb, because Bubba's involved. Uh, Christian's down center ring. Bubba rolls to the outside. RVD climbs up and delivers the five-star frog splash to the prone Christian, who is again prone from the Bubba bomb. Bubba rolls back inside, eyeing up Jeff Hardy. He's kind of on his hands and his knees, eyeing up Jeff Hardy, because he can see him moving towards his direction. Bubba Ray Dudley, upon seeing that Jeff Hardy is climbing the top rope, gets off of his hands and his knees, planks, and rolls on his back. Oh, come on, Bubba, really? You're going to make it that obvious? You just forget you were supposed to stay in the ring after the Bubba Bomb? Swanton Bomb misses. Bubba's up. Jeff charges. A big back body drop. And uh, Jeff goes outside of the ring through a table. Bubba Ray Dudley is standing up. Rob Van Dam is standing up. Rob Van Dam has a chair in his hands. Bubba turns around. And Rob Van Dam tosses Bubba Ray Dudley said chair. Now, Bubba Ray Dudley has cat-like reflexes. And in an act of self-preservation, catches the chair. And while this instinctual act has protected Bubba from the harm that he anticipated. It has left him holding this steel chair dangerously close to his own face. And Rob Van Dam hits the Van Daminator. He sets up a ladder. He climbs. He's awfully close to the gold. Jericho hits him with a chair to the back. Jericho climbs. He applies the walls of Jericho to Rob Van Dam on top of the ladder. To my disappointment, he doesn't yell, Askeem! Askeem! He tosses Rob off. Jericho is now just centimeters from glory. Sounds like a porno about my life, by the way. (laughs) Kane is finally back up from that goddamn Van Terminator that happened, like, it feels like an hour ago. Uh, He goozles Jericho, climbs the ladder, and then delivers a leaping choke slam from the top of the ladder. Doesn't look as cool as it sounds, though. Uh, both men are down. <laughs> Jim Ross is like, why do these men be able to get to their feet? And then, serendipitously, Kane does the sit-up. He climbs. JR is all like, Kane is showing no mercy here tonight! Oh, come on. Boo, Jim. No mercy. No mercy. It's, it's, it's so obvious. It'd be like if Kane won this match and I said, like, he's the ring man! Because, you know, that's the name of this show. Kane climbs. He reaches. He reaches again. He has the gold! He's got both straps! Kane wins! He's the ring man! Oh, shit. I just... You know, I'll be nice. The match is over, though. I'll say it's three and a half stars. It doesn't compare to other TLCs that came before this. So there's no way it's the best. I don't think it's the best Raw match in the first 10 years. I mean, Perfect Flair probably hasn't beat just on work rate, even though I'm not... I think, well, Perfect Doink, I think I rated higher than this. So, it, 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 whatever. I'll say this, though. It was fun to watch, and JR solo on commentary was something I never knew I wanted or needed, but I, I'm. it was worth it. It was worth it. Now, Kane is celebrating, but his music abruptly ends. And according to the Peacock stream. We are at one hour and 35 minutes into this show. Meaning, there are exactly 79 seconds left in this broadcast. Triple H and Ric Flair are standing at the ramp, and Triple H has a microphone. 
<clears throat> sorry, I gotta get gotta get my Triple H voice. <clears throat> Unique New York. The Human Torch was denied a bank loan. All right, I think I'm ready. Kane, I promised you before the night was over, your life would never be the same. You said this is the happiest you've ever been in your life, huh? Well, unfortunately, some people always can't be that happy. He pauses for an asshole chant, also because he's flubbing his lines. Let me ask you a question, Kane. How happy is Katie Vick? No response. Yeah, that's right, Kane. I know. I know it all. Ten years ago, you killed her! No reaction from the crowd. That's right, Kane. You are a murderer. Now, there are boos to this, but instead of an outright angry, fire-based boo, that's my hero, it's more a smattering of boo. This is what you're doing? Really? This is what you're doing? We get a nice fisheye zoom in on Kane's face. And the copyright for the Raw Zone hits, and the show ends. Math, ladies and gentlemen. What does math have to do with anything? Well, it took... This is October of 2002, and Kane debuts at Bad Blood. 1997. So, five years, give or take. A few days here or there. It took five years to get Kane to the point he's at right now. Or I would argue he's at his hottest, no pun intended. He looks his coolest, we've discussed, and he looks like a badass with all the gold. Not to mention, we're in a brand split era where you don't necessarily have to have, like, the biggest money draw as the top act. Five years. And that's only if you count the Kane character. <laughs> you know, we forget Diesel and Yank, but I digress. Math, I promised math. Ladies and gentlemen, there are 31,536,000 seconds in a year, which means in five years, there's 157,680,000 seconds in five years. This was 79 of those 157,680,000 seconds. So, according to my calculations, this point. of Kane's career defines it. Well, I mean, he's had other moments, but I don't know. It's just kind of interesting. You know, and and, you know, this this goes for like, you know, I, I don't know. Like, you know, I was I've been watching that Elizabeth Olsen show on HBO, uh, Love and Death. I think it's called her Life and Death. It, it doesn't matter. But it's like, uh, you know, it's a story about a woman who, like, killed another woman in self-defense, hypothetically, maybe. And, you know, I don't know. That, that act took, like, two minutes, and then it defined her for the rest of her life. So I guess it's apropos, if you really think about it. It only takes a fraction of a moment, of a second, of a percentage of your existence or your career to define it. But I don't know. I just found it a little bit poetic. And now, my loyal Canaanites, it's time to grab some of that smoked meat JR was talking about and head up north 
for the October 14th, 2002 edition of Monday Night Raw, live from Montreal, Quebec, in the Bell Center. We start with a video recap of Triple H's closing promo. It is very dramatic, complete with the word murderer slowed down. He's like, you, Kane, are a murderer. Murderer, murderer. It's like that time Charlie Murphy was talking about whooping Rick James' ass. He's like, we had to whip his ass, whip his ass, whip his ass, whip his ass. (laughs) Cocaine's a hell of a drug, Charlie Murphy. You know, that whole thing. So, immediately after this introductory video, uh, Kane and the Hurricane arrive. Well, they, they sort of exit their locker room area heading towards the ring. Kane with both belts, continues to look pretty awesome. All right, I'm going to say that. And Jonathan Coachman wants a word. Uh, However, Kane is in no, uh, you know, sort of mental state to answer any sort of questions or or anything like that. But, you know, as opposed to having Kane, like, beat the shit out of him, the Hamburglar is just like, oh, no questions right now, please, for Kane. Uh, Kane, will you respond to Triple H? That's none of your business! All right, well, Kate at least spoke. What happens next, you wonder? Well, it's very simple. I'll get the guns, the drugs, for my generation. I'll take the fuck. Come on, come on, come on. And get it on. Move to the music. Play the fucking music. Move to the music, yeah. Not to denies the man for my generation. And they refuse to see the trend in me. Why won't I wake up? No, that's not a kidster playing with toys and G.I. Joes. That was me performing the opening pyrotechnics. But the opening pyrotechnics are not there. But the emergence of the current... World Tag Team Champions takes its place because we're starting this fucker off with a tag team title matchup. Hurricane immediately come out to defend their gold. You know, because why let Kane hold on to all this gold and continue to look like a badass when he could just lose it a couple days before the show? JR and the King are all like, so much of Kane's mind it has to be scattered right now. I mean, how can he, how can he, how can he concentrate? I'm defending the gold. Here's a real snippet of dialogue. It has been a gut-wrenching week for Kane after being accused of being, of all things, King, a murderer. Now look, I'm all for nonsense in wrestling. Like, I really am. And this is not a final verdict on the overall storyline, but, you know, listening to them talk about this during this entire tag team match, you know, King JR's like, I'm just, I don't believe Kane could have done this. I mean, I know the man. And King's like, oh, well, he looks like a murderer to me. King, have you ever been falsely accused of anything? You know, they just, they talk about it the entire match, and it really made me realize. I, I, I don't think, I think murderer and, and a little wrestling show might be just going a little too far even for me. And please, I'm not talking about the content. Like, I give shit about content in terms of, like, oh, that's obscene, or that's vulgar, or that's offensive. Like, well, offensive is different, like, if you're talking about, like, shit that can't be uh, 
you know, that shouldn't be made fun of or something like that. It's like they're talking shit about Kane's, like, uh, I mean, we can talk about split. You know what? This is going off the rails. I'm just saying that it's not the content of Kane being a murderer or anything like that. I don't give a shit. It's just, it, it's, it, the stakes are just a little too high, even for me. Uh, regardless, the tag team titles will be defended tonight. It's Christian and Y2J, Team Chris, Team Canada, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, and, and we learned throughout this match, and I'm not going to cover, I've decided not to cover move for move because this thing's already running longer than I thought it would, which is fine. There's a lot to dive into and good discussion to be had. Uh, but where was I going with this? Oh, King believes that Kane not addressing this whole scandal means that he's guilty because Kane hasn't said a word about it. Uh, he wouldn't speak to JR, he wouldn't speak to the King or anything like that. The match is base, completely baseline. Uh, Long story short, Kane chases Christian down the aisle and Jericho rolls up Hurricane and hilariously puts his feet on the very top rope with an inside cradle to score the one, two, three. Uh, Kane like sprints back to the ring like, oh, I can't believe we lost. And JR's like, Kane is so distracted. He couldn't even help defend the tag team titles of the world. But the Chris's win, and that's that. Later in the night, Eric Bischoff books RVD versus Triple H in a Canadian Lumberjack match, which means the Lumberjacks will have straps. You might have known that. I didn't know that, and I'm still blown away by it. They go to a commercial. They come back, and Nate and Triple H are sitting on the casting couch when, you know, we get more details that relate to us. Ric Flair's pissed off. He's been booked in a match with RVD at uh, No Mercy. Triple H doesn't want to do this match against RVD, but he's like, you know what, Nate? I'll take out Rob tonight, and you won't have to face him at no mercy. But speaking of no mercy, let's talk about Kane. I'm going to give Kane to the end of this next match to go out there and spill the beans, or I'm going to do it for him. So Triple H will reveal the tumultuous tales and details of the murder of one Katie Vick if Kane does not. But luckily, after the following match... Kane joins us to do just that. It comes right after the conclusion of what I'm sure was a thrilling and riveting encounter between uh, Jeff Hardy and Rico. Hey, you think Rico was... I guess that means Rico was able to find Jeff Hardy. You know, like in Survivor Series when he's like, Jeff! Jeff, goddammit, where is he? Anywho... Uh, right when the match concludes, like, immediately, Jeff Hardy's, like, still celebrating, and King's like, come on, Triple H, get out here, expose Kane as a murderer, you promised, ha Oh, I don't believe it, it just can't be, it can't be, Kane can't be a murderer. Hurricane and Kane speak backstage, Kane is so angry, he's slamming around crates and everything, Hurricane's like, calm down, Kane, it's alright, don't worry, we'll get the WWE Tag Team titles back. Kane snaps. I don't give a damn about the tag team titles. Do you understand? I just want to be left alone, okay? Well, at least he was nice enough to add okay at the end. The hurricane abides, leaves, and Kane sits on a crate nearby. Suddenly, Terry Runnels walks into frame. Now, something you should know, dear audience, is that aside from being the current backstage interviewer for Monday Night Raw, Terry Reynolds is a friend of the Canester. Terry speaks. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Kane speaks upon seeing Terry. Terry, I don't feel like answering your questions right now, okay? But you see, ladies and gentlemen, Terry Reynolds is is an actress. 
This is a scene. These are characters. These characters have stage direction. They take action. They're full of emotion. They have motivation. And so Terry sits and speaks. And again, she sounds like Pamela Paulshock for some reason. I'm not an interviewer right now. I'm here as your friend. I don't like seeing you like this, you know. You need to let what's bottled up inside out. And you need to do it publicly. You just lost the World Tag Team Championship. And there's no way you're going to beat Hunter Triple H this Sunday for the world title. I love how she's able to recap the storyline and insert a shill. Not in this frame of mind. There's no way. Now I know you can do this. You've faced adversity and overcome it all your life. You need to tell the people your story. Kane looks. Yeah. You're right. I need to do this. I need to do it now. Thanks. Kane walks. We fade to black. And JR warns the audience what's coming. This is going to be interesting. As we go to a commercial. Well, much like the flame within Kane, we return to, you know, Raw. And, and Kane is sending center, center ring with a microphone. And ladies and gentlemen... I don't like to do this. I've done it occasionally, and I'm going to do it again. But I can't. I can't. I can't recreate this for you in a level that demands to be done. And so, let's just hear for ourselves what Kane and the individual that interrupts him have to say. Over the ring, with a lot to say, apparently. About time. Come on, Kane. Tell us the truth. Katie Vick was a friend of mine. And Katie Vick is dead. But I didn't kill her. It was an accident. And I am not a murderer. You see, Katie and I were friends about 10 years ago. Back when I first started wrestling. In fact, she came to my first match and she was probably the only one that cared when I was getting beat up. I cared about her too. One night, Katie and I, uh, we went to a party and Katie had too much to drink. So I decided that I should drive her home. I wasn't real familiar with the stick shift, but Katie insisted that we take her car. Uh, it was dark. The road was slick because it was raining, and uh, Animal jumped, jumped right out in front of us. And uh, I swerved, swerved to, uh, to avoid it, and the car spun out of control, went off the road, and uh, I broke my arm, but... Katie was, uh, Katie was killed instantly. But it was an accident!
but it's something that I have to live with and something that I've thought about every day since. So the only thing that I have left to say is what I said to Katie's parents. I'm sorry. story, Kane. But since you're out here bearing your soul, why don't you tell the world the whole truth? Why don't you tell the world how when the people from that party were questioned, they all said that you were drinking too, Kane. Why don't you tell everybody how when the police got to the accident scene, there were empty beer cans in the car and all around the crime scene. And more importantly, Kane, why don't you explain to the world how when doctors did the autopsy on Katie Vick's body, the doctors found your semen. That's right, Kane. Oh, Katie Vick was a whole lot more than just a friend to you, wasn't she, Kane? The fact is, you loved Katie Vick. You were madly in love with Katie Vick. The problem was, Katie Vick liked you. She didn't love you, Kane. Katie didn't share your special feelings that you had. And come on, Kane, honestly, who can blame her? Look at you. Who could realistically love a burnt-up freak like you? Now, Kane, I know that you weren't charged with murder. I know you weren't even charged with manslaughter. But Kane, facts are facts. And the fact is, Kane, the fact is that all of this points to you. You know it. I know it. The whole world knows it. You killed Katie Vick. But Kane, the question I have is, on that night, did you force Katie Vick to have sex with you while she was alive? Or did you just wait and do it to her when she was dead? Action, adventure, emotion, drama, adversity, intensity, motivation.
It's all a part of the show, damn it. Uh, unbelievable. Just insane. But I got to tell you, uh, there are a couple of things that I think specifically you should know. Uh, number one, neither of the performers involved look particularly excited to deliver the information that they did to the audience. But let's let's focus on the ins and outs of the details here. I, I've got 13 specific points I'd like to make, all right? Uh, number one. So the idea that Kane had a friend during his first wrestling match, I mean, I don't even know how to tackle this. Is this like Glenn Jacobs saying that when I first started performing as the character of Kane, or is he talking about when he performed as the Unabomber, Isaac Yankum? Is he fake Diesel? Like, and if he is talking about Kane himself, like, it's one thing if he's talking about Glenn Jacobs, but if he's talking about Kane, like, are we to believe that Kane, the masked man that could not speak, that was burned to a pulp, that had Paul Bearer by his side, was wrestling his first match in the in the red light wherever he did it, and 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 Katie Vick was in the auditorium cheering, or is he referencing? the events of the fantastic novel Journey into Darkness, where he's a high schooler and Katie Vick dies. I don't know! I don't know how to interpret this. However, I'm going to go with this happened when he was younger, because number two, the visual image of Kane at like a beach party, wearing his letterman's jacket. You know, there's a nice beach fire, and there's some kegs, and everybody's having a good time and walking around. I love the idea of Kane partying, hanging out with everybody, finally being accepted because he's like an athlete, and he still has the mask on. This this works for me, folks. It really does. Number three, I love the amount of nonsense that Kane puts before us as an excuse for why this accident happened. It's like. You know, it's like the beginning of not another teen movie or any other of these like uh, hyper reality parody films, like The Naked Gun, not another teen movie, basketball, shit like that. Where like Kane's driving and Katie's passed out, or she's like, "Let's get some fucking French toast," you know, because she's hammered and Kane's trying to drive, and he like the stick shift gives out, and then suddenly like it's dark, but then it becomes completely blackout, and he's like you know, rubbing on the windshield like, I can't see anything. And then it suddenly starts to pour down rain and it's slick. And then like an entire forest of animals run in front of the car. You got Bambi, Thumper, the skunk, all of them. Every animal you can imagine. Maybe even a hippo, a rhinoceros, a couple of giraffes. And then finally Kane's like, whoa, trying to spin the wheel and the car crashes. Uh, I love that he says specifically that he swerved. Because swerved is a wrestling term. Number five, he says that he broke his arm. Well, why not have this? Why not have him be like, we all lost a lot that day. I lost an eye. As you can see, I wear this glass eye contact lens thing. But Katie lost her life. Number six, he says he told Katie's parents that he was sorry. But Katie's dad died. I read that book, man. He ain't there. I love, number seven, that the crowd is like, eh, the entire time. Like, they're really not digging this. Like, they're making noises, but it's not pop or boo. It's just kind of indifferent. If you ever wanted to hear a crowd make indifferent noises, this is perfect. And it's Montreal of all crowds. The crowd that reacts to everything. Uh, number eight, Hunter's description 
of beer cans being in the car again makes me think of like a comedy but you know one of those movies where after the crash like the car is smoking and Kane can't get the door open he finally does it like falls off and all of these like a mountain of beer cans fall out Kane gets out of the car sees the car looks at the mountain of beer cans looks both directions to make sure no one's around and then just runs away number nine the utterance of the word semen on WWE programming should rub me the wrong way, but I kind of enjoy it. <laughs> Number 10, notice that upon saying the word semen, the crowd is finally like, oh, come on! Number 11, what I mean by, oh, come on! They initially are like, oh, boo, I don't want this. <laughs> like, they react like they should, like, oh, shit, that's a diss, son! And then they're like, wait a minute, boo. Number 12, the uh, French uh, accented ax- asshole chat. Asshole, asshole, asshole. I love it. That's not a diss on the French. I'm sorry I mocked the accent. I'm not mocking it. Uh, uh, je parle français. Hmm? Je m'appelle Jean ici. Like, I speak a little French. I took French for three years. Um, and of course, number 13, lucky number 13, icing on the cake. The accusation of the insertion of semen post-death. This is what you come for, folks. So, immediately after this interview, uh, they cut to commercial. And we come back and we get the patented Raw moments ago recap video. And the only thing they recap is Triple H is saying, Kane, did you have sex with Katie Vick when she was alive? Or did you insert your semen after she was dead? (laughs) Like, that's the thing they really want to drive home they're in charge they can choose any moment to recap we make movies now kane is leaving the arena hurricane's like come on man you gotta stay kane you gotta stay if i stay i'll do something i regret for the rest of my life oh i think it just happened glenn but nonetheless um I love this juxtaposition here, folks, because we've been dealing with some real some real hard truths here on this episode of Raw. And after Kane walks away from Hurricane, we get a shot of him walking forlorn to the distance like he's Bruce Banner at the end of the Incredible Hulk TV show. We immediately cut back to the arena for, She's got legs! You know how to use them! It's like the ultimate, the show must go on. All right, so still 10:14 Raw. We're heading towards the main event of the Canadian Lumberjack match. But before we get there, there's more to discuss. Uh, Terry interviews Triple H. Triple H, how can you justify your accusations? Justify him? No, well, that's not, that's not Hunter. But Hunter doesn't really do his game voice here. He's like kind of doing his flipping. Yeah, I'm Triple H. I'm kind of I kind of sound like Kevin Nash here. Justify it. Police reports back this up. You think I asked for this? I didn't ask for this. Uh, Borrowing from Scott Keith. I love shoot comments that aren't supposed to be shoot comments. Let's listen to that again. You think I asked for this? I didn't ask for this. I'm just reporting the facts, Terry. Isn't it convenient that you came upon this police report right as you were set to face Kane at no mercy? Terry, like I said, you think I dug this info up? This information was given to me. All I'm doing is reporting the facts. Kane is a dangerous man. He's a murderer. And Terry, 
while I'm at it. I mean, a sweet girl like yourself. You should be careful with a guy like Kate. I mean, he has a penchant for hurting those to get close to him. You know, Terry Kane is a murderer. And at no mercy, I'm going to take care of Kane. Kane might be able to take the life of a sweet girl like Katie Vick, but he will never be able to take my title. Mind games, that's all it is, King. It's just mind games. Now, there is one more Kane Hunter segment to reveal to you, the loving audience. But before we get there, again, I'm ashamed of this, but I can't recreate this for you in all its brilliance. So I present to you a little Ringman bonus. To set the scene, all you need to know is that Jim Ross is at the entrance underneath the Titantron while holding a microphone. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, my next guest has asked to address you tonight. He is a certainly a WWE blue chipper. He has met with some misfortune recently. Please welcome Randy Orton. Randy, you've asked this time to, to speak your piece, so uh, the floor is yours, young man. Uh, that's right, JR. I actually, I have some horrible news. Randy Orton tore his shoulder last week. Now, the doctors tell me that a normal person with this injury, they'd be out 9 to 12 months. Wow. But the fact of the matter is, with my drive, with my athleticism, with my commitment to all these people, I will be back in a mere three to four months. That's impressive. Commitment. Now, JR, three to four months is a long time to be away from something that you love. But you know what helps stop that pain? The fact that I know that these people can email me and wish me a speedy recovery. Can we get that email address up, please? Hey. Email. There it is. Right there. Get well Randy That's at get well Randy at WWE.com. Hey. Wait a minute. And I promise. This is disrespectful to these Canadians. I promise to write back and respond to everybody who emails me back. Now you know what, JR? You know what I find funny? The fact that Montreal is known for the place where Bret Hart got screwed. Uh-oh. That's true. <laughs> and I was thinking about it for a second, and I think Montreal should be known as the place where Randy Orton got screwed. Wow. I mean, I had to come out here today and make this announcement about how my career has to be put on hold. But, JR, the difference is, unlike Bret Hart, Randy Orton will be back. Thank you, thank you. Get well, Randy, at WWE.com. Well, I'll tell you what, this was great announcement, but that big lumberjack match is coming up, coming up later on tonight. Triple Oh my god. 
I love this. This is tremendous. This is this is everything about professional wrestling that I love. Not only is it the beginning of like Randy Orton as an actual character, which is fine. I'm, I'm like the I'm like the world's massive Orton fan, but I do like his stuff, you know, in the latter parts of his career, and he's been fine. But this is the beginning of the percentage of rehabilitation calculation that Randy Orton will start delivering. I love that he gives us the email address. Like, whomever thought of this is a fucking genius. And of course, the hate on Bret Hart. It's like this segment was made just for me. <laughs> Thank you, Randy. And I hope you get better soon. Now, finally, to put a bow on the 10-14 Raw. Uh, in the main event, the Canadian Lumberjack match. Triple H pins RVD. Big shocker. I know. Post-match, though, Kane returns. He comes down the ramp, beating on all the lumberjacks that he sees. The king's like, ah, murderer, murderer, murderer! He enters the ring, that being Kane, pronouns pow, and he starts to beat down Triple H and Flair. He goozles the H's, he goozles Flair. As he's holding them in his grasp, JR is desperately trying to sell some pay-per-views. It's winner take all at no mercy! But Flair... Low blows Kane, and this allows Triple H and Flair to scurry away. Chris Harvard attacks as he was a lumberjack. He gets a choke slam for his troubles. Triple H and Flair are now watching from the ramp. D'Lo Brown, who was a jack, enters and gets beat down. He gets a choke slam as well. Rico eats a choke slam, but then three minute warning attacks. But there's only one minute left in the show. Is this even legal? They do get the upper hand. However, Kane fights back and choke slams both of them. But you do get a little three-minute shine, so whatever. Then, after victoriously choke slamming both of the large athletes in three-minute warning, Kane summons the pyro as Triple H looks on and Jim Ross desperately tries to make professional wrestling relevant after the events of this episode of Raw. Triple H has seen his laugh and maybe his world title flash before his very eyes. Kane is back. Kane is strong. Kane and Triple H. It's winner take all. Triple H and there's hell to pay. Sunday. Sunday on pay-per-view. You'll burn in hell. Triple H. And Raw fades away. And we head to no mercy. The next time we come to you with Ringman. Oh, boo! Boo! I know, I know. But here's the thing, loyal listeners. We're, we're getting long in the tooth. Okay? And so, this has now become a two-part extravaganza. When in our very next episode, we will cover the winner-take-all match at No Mercy. We'll cover the Raw immediately following, which is what you came to see. And then the final confrontation between Triple H and Kane the week after in a casket match. But don't worry. There's still plenty of Vic-based entertainment heading your way the next time we're on Ringman. And I hope you come back and I hope you've enjoyed part one of this epic. Well, Johnny, uh, excuse me, as Concrete Man here, uh, I believe that uh, you failed to deliver on couple of promises here and uh well johnny what about the resolution you were you were all set to give me your verdict on how you felt about this entire storyline i know concrete and i'm sorry i am but uh you know uh, we're leaving them with a little bit of a cliffhanger 
You know, you know, something to think about and contemplate for the next time. Hmm. Kind of like contemplating the fate of your last can of Surge, perhaps. What do you mean? No, no, nothing, Johnny. I'm fine. But uh, what makes you think you're going to get away with all this? What makes you think people will actually come back for the next chapter? Well, I mean, like I say, uh, movie movies have done this recently. Uh, Dune! Hey! Dune! With your boy Dave Batista. You know, Dune ends on a cliffhanger. But there is resolution to the part one story. You know what I mean? Uh, and then Dune Part 2 is coming to theaters this fall. You know, so so big budget Hollywood blockbuster films with auteurs behind the camera have done this, Concrete Man. Don't worry about it. And hey, it's that's what big studio movies are doing. You should be all about this. Have you seen Dune? No, 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 Johnny, I haven't. Um, I don't watch movies. No. I just make them. And no flame.